Welcome to the Monitor Daily Podcast. It's Friday, February 16th. Thanks for joining us. I'm Clay Collins. And I'm Caitlin Babcock. This week, an Ivy League college announced a bachelor's degree in artificial intelligence engineering. Where are the young minds who'll be primed to pursue it or whatever comes next? In some U.S. public schools, it turns out. Artificial intelligence gets pegged as a shortcut that can short-circuit learning and mislead. Even in its basic forms, like ChatGPT, it's suspect. A video-generating tool unveiled yesterday produces jaw-dropping fakery. But a counter-narrative simmers. A year ago, Laurent Belsey framed generative AI as a drudgery killer, a helper to researchers. He didn't ignore downsides. Today, on our podcast, Jackie Valley discusses her reporting on the AI education overlap. Students are getting to know AI. They're likely to own it. For our selection of top news briefs from the wire services today, please go to csmonitor.com daily. Now, today's Monitor Stories. Our first story. Many in the West saw Alexei Navalny as the Russian opposition's most promising challenger to Vladimir Putin. His death in prison on Friday brings a tragic end to a struggle the Kremlin had already largely contained. Alexei Navalny, Russia's best-known and most indefatigable Kremlin opposition figure, who died in an Arctic penal colony Friday under as-yet-unknown circumstances, might best be viewed as the proverbial canary in the coal mine of Russian politics. Mr. Navalny's life was often a sharp illustration of the hopes, frustrations, and limits faced by the first post-Soviet generation under the nearly two and a half decades of Vladimir Putin's rule. At every stage, he pushed the limits. Mr. Navalny believed that Kremlin power was a weak facade and might be toppled by protests from below. In the run-up to the 2018 presidential elections, he organized street demonstrations that hit 100 Russian cities and put him on the map as Russia's premier opposition figure. It will be widely assumed that the Kremlin ordered Mr. Navalny's death. But it remains unclear what his legacy will be, as he joins a list of Putin opponents who have met grisly ends over the past two decades. Navalny became a symbol of the democratic part of the opposition, and his death doesn't mean the opposition will disappear, says Alexander Verkovsky, who tracks extremist trends in Russia. Indeed, it suggests that our authorities are at a dead end. This story was reported by Fred Weir in Moscow for The Monitor. As President Joe Biden visits the site of the February 2023 East Palestine derailment, the Bipartisan Railway Safety Act has yet to come to a vote in the House or Senate nearly a year after being introduced. When a train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, last February, lawmakers in Congress sprang into action. Congress has a real opportunity to ensure that what happened in East Palestine will never happen again, said Republican Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. He grew up in a hard-scrabble Appalachian community and co-sponsored the Bipartisan Railway Safety Act, which was introduced in March, along with a companion version in the House of Representatives. A year later, as President Joe Biden makes his first official visit to the site, neither has come to a vote. This is the story of how a bill can overcome the partisan divide in Congress 
gather enough momentum to seem on the verge of passage, and then stall it. It would be convenient to blame polarization, or lobbyists, or gridlock, but it's more complicated than that. Peeling back the layers provides a revealing look at what it takes to reach compromise in Congress on something as seemingly straightforward as protecting communities from toxic train derailments. While there's broad consensus among lawmakers that preventing another East Palestine-type disaster is a worthwhile goal, there's less agreement over whether the legislation strikes the right balance among safety, cost, and efficiency. This story was reported by Krista Case Bryant in Washington for The Monitor. Finding bipartisan common ground has become all but impossible in the current House of Representatives, but on the issue of aid for Ukraine, Republican Representative Michael McCall is determined to keep trying. How can Ukraine supporters heal divides in the House Republican majority to win approval on $60 billion in fresh security assistance in time for Ukraine, which needs supplies, to stave off a freshly advancing Russian army? At the end of the day, I do think a majority in the House will pass this Ukraine aid, Rep. Michael McCall, chairman of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, told reporters at a Monitor breakfast Friday. While some members can't be persuaded, Mr. McCall says proponents like himself will have to redouble efforts in the coming days to make it palatable enough to win over skeptics. At the breakfast, a Texas Republican also addressed other issues including what he calls a false dichotomy between defending the U.S. southern border or aiding Ukraine, the resurgence of the isolationism, and the influence of former President Donald Trump. This story was reported by Howard LaFranchi for The Monitor. Input ideas? Get back a research paper. Generative chat, a low-tier but pervasive form of artificial intelligence, has been cast as a threat to learning. That's only part of the story. Our writer found educators and students discovering fruitful ways of leaning in on AI. Artificial intelligence has pierced the sphere of public education, as it has most other areas of life. Is it the ultimate cheat code or an aid to learning? Education writer Jackie Valley began tracking that question more than a year ago as ChatGPT, a generative tool that mines the internet to construct predictive conversation, became more of a presence. There are a lot of legitimate worries surrounding it, Jackie says on the Monitor's Why We Wrote This podcast. But as the months progressed, what I started noticing in little pockets was this other side of, well, how can AI be used for good in education, too? In reporting a recent story on the overlap, Jackie found schools that were teaching responsible AI use. She found ones that were using AI around the edges to optimize learning. Central to the story the engagement level and joyfulness of young learners. One Georgia high school student told her that AI made him more eager to attend school. A lab project had him using it alongside different types of batteries and model electric cars. And it had really just excited him, Jackie says. It added a layer of interactivity. So you're not just sitting there absorbing information, the student told her. You're actually involved in the process. This podcast episode was produced by Clay Collins and Mackenzie Farkas. You can find the full episode in tonight's daily or at csmonitor.com slash why we wrote this. Here's an excerpt featuring Jackie. Students are pretty captivated by it. And I spoke to a student 
in high school at Gwinnett County Public Schools. And he said that it just made him more eager to attend school. He talked about doing a, a lab project and that had something to do with using AI and different types of batteries and little electric cars. And it had just really excited him. And he said, it's the type of lessons where you have to put your thinking cap on. So you're not just sitting there absorbing information. You're actually involved in the process. In times of turmoil, Americans look to President Abraham Lincoln for wisdom. His experience guiding a divided nation offers insights as well as hard-earned lessons. New books on Abraham Lincoln reliably appear each February to coincide with President's Day. This year brings two excellent biographies of the 16th president that look to him for insight into questions currently besetting the American Republic. Alan C. Gelzo's Our Ancient Faith, Lincoln, Democracy, and the American Experiment, explores Lincoln's vision of democratic government, while Harold Holzer's brought forth on this continent Abraham Lincoln and American Immigration, centers on Lincoln's handling of an issue that was as divisive in the antebellum period as it is today. Our Ancient Faith is a slim, meditative volume whose primary focus is slavery and the Civil War. Brought forth on this continent, meanwhile, is a broad examination of immigration's impact on 19th century politics. In Our Ancient Faith, Gelzo writes that he has long taken consolation in Lincoln, who gave democracy a new lease on life and a fresh sense of its purpose. He continues, To all those who have despaired of the future or whose lives have been ruined by the failures of the present, I offer this man's example. This story was contributed by Barbara Spindell for The Monitor. Now, commentary from the Monitor's editorial board on African renewal in artistic expression. In the 30 years since it was torn apart by an ethnic genocide, the tiny nation of Rwanda in Central Africa has sought to be a model of reconciliation, forward economic thinking, and, lately, leadership in the global transition to green energy. Now it seeks to become a cultural hub, showcasing a mental transition driven by younger generations of Africans who reject being defined or restrained by their continent's troubled past. That idea is at the heart of an ambitious arts festival opening today in Kigali, the capital. The Kigali Triennial reflects the broader question of rebound, of rebirth after the genocide, the organizers wrote. As elsewhere in Africa, where many decolonizations have failed, it is a question of knowing how to start again as Africans to let people know that these young people have something to say to the world in a radically new way. The Rwandan government hopes that the festival will be a catalyst for economic growth. If it is, it may be due to the deeper purpose of art to stir the higher tones of thought that enrich human achievement with purpose. That's a wrap for the news. You can find the full-length versions of these stories in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. For more Monitor audio, including our serial podcasts, go to csmonitor.com podcasts. Thanks for ending your week with us. The Monitor won't publish a daily on Monday, President's Day in the United States. We have a lot in motion for next week, including a deep report from Oklahoma on Republican lawmakers shifting views on the death penalty. It's part of our ongoing project on trust. 
Today's Christian Science Spiritual Perspective contributor shares how butterfly chrysalids inspired her as she helped her daughter gain the freedom to swim fearlessly. You can find the column in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. Want some spiritual inspiration as you prepare to meditate on or pray about the state of the world? The Daily Lift, a free weekday podcast, offers short, shareable takes on inspiring ideas. Listen at christianscience.com slash dailylift or wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to give a quick thanks to our staff, including today's audio production team, Mackenzie Farkas, Jeff Turton, and Leonardo Bevilacqua. This podcast is produced by the Christian Science Monitor in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Copyright 2024.